All right, take your Bibles with me this afternoon. Go to the Gospel of Mark, please. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And let's see here. Start this uh, stopwatch here. I know we got uh, supper here in just a minute. Preacher said there's three what hard things to do, three things in the world. Hard. Kiss a fence post that's leaning towards you. I don't, never mind. Mark chapter 6. I think I told this last year, but it feels applicable. Uh, These four guys going on a business trip. And uh, nobody wanted to stay in a hotel room with Fred because Fred snored so loud all the time. He just would snore. I mean, it sounded like a a freight train. I mean, like a a pig digging for roots. I mean, it was just loud. And... uh, so they thought, you know what, we'll take turns sharing a room with Fred. So the first guy stays with him. He comes to breakfast in the morning. He just looks rough. He looks like he didn't get any sleep. And they said, man, you look rough. You don't look like you got any sleep. And he said, no. He said, Fred snored all night. I didn't get a wink of sleep. The second guy comes to breakfast the next morning, you know, after his turn, same thing. He didn't get a wink of sleep. He looks tired. The third guy, he stayed with Fred, and he got to breakfast the next morning, and, uh, man, he looked great. He's chipper and spry, you know, just feeling great, alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic, you know. And they said, man, how did you get any rest with Fred there in the room? And he said, oh, man, it was easy. He said, before we went to sleep, I went over to Fred's bed, and I brushed back his hair like this, and I gave him a kiss on his forehead. He said, Fred stayed up all night watching me. Said I slept like a baby. So, if you look over and somebody looks like they're falling asleep, it may work. Amen. Some of y'all might want to move if you're a little worried about who you're sitting next to. All right. All right. Mark chapter number six. And uh, for sake of time, I'm just going to read a couple verses. But if you leave your Bible open, I want to look at this familiar passage uh, just for a moment. And really it encompasses probably verse 14 to about verse 28. It's the, the, the unjust execution of uh, one of the world's greatest preachers, John the Baptist. And I know you know the story, so I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read just a few verses in your hearing. Look at verse number 21. The Bible says, And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the, of, of said, of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, The king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swear unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. Now I want you to think about what we just read here. We read about a man who, he's not 
a king maybe like we would think of a king with a castle and some great kingdom. He's actually just a, just a local ruler over a small territory within uh, the Roman Empire. He's under Caesar, but yet he does have authority. He does have a territory that he rules over. And he said that I'm going to give you half of my kingdom to this young lady just because he liked the way that she looked and liked the way that she danced in front of him. I want you to write one word down next to that. You may not want to write in your Bible, but in your mind, I want you to write one word down next to that. That's stupid. That's stupid. Can I get a witness right there? I want to preach on that just for a minute. Sin makes you stupid. And if that word stupid offends you, you're going to hate this message right here. And I do want to make a disclaimer that if there's any kids in here, your mom and daddy says don't use the word stupid. You better listen to your mom and daddy, all right? But it ain't my mom and daddy, so I'm going to use it, amen? My mom is sitting right here, and, you know, I don't think she cares. She called me that all the time, so I don't... We use that word all the time, amen? <laughs> but I want to preach just for a few minutes on this thought. Sin makes you stupid. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us, Lord. The only way anything eternal will take place is if you do it. And Father, I pray that you'd use me just for a few moments, Lord, this last leg of this afternoon service. Lord, what a great meeting it's been so far. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to, to add to it whatever needs to be added because you've put me here. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever been around a bunch of drunk people. I hope not. Maybe some of you because of your past or something like that. I was protected and shielded and very, uh, uh, very, very shielded shielded in my life. I grew up in a very, very shielded home, and I thank God for that, praise the Lord. And so I never really, I never re was around a bunch of drunk people, intoxicated people, until I went on a mission trip. That's the first time I really got around, uh, got around some, uh, somebody that was really intoxicated, really inebriated. I was about 14 years old. Brother Dwayne Moore uh, took us down to Mexico uh, years ago, and that had been a long time ago now, and um, and uh, we were out on, we were having a service out on the beach. It was, uh, it was at night. Nobody was out there. And uh, we were just, we just wanted to go out there. We ate some testimonies and some preaching. And uh, nobody, we didn't see anybody out there. But some guy staggers out of the hotel and staggers out there under the sand. I'd never seen anybody drunk before. I mean, I knew people got drunk. I knew what it was. But I'd never been in close to anybody before. And uh, that guy, we were out there singing. I don't remember what we were singing, but all of of a sudden I heard somebody that wasn't before singing like that with our group. It was kind of kind of sounded like Brother John Morgan singing just a little bit. And I thought, man, I know we didn't bring him on this trip, but and just this guy, and he's out there, and I tell you what, this guy, he got so nervous. Brother Mark Stroud was with us, all right, on this trip. And Brother Mark Stroud's a nine foot eleven, if you've ever seen Brother Mark, and he went towards this guy to kind of remove him. He, this drunk guy added himself to our group, and Brother Mark was gonna unadd, gonna subtract him from our group. And uh, man, it scared the guy to death. Uh, when brother, Mike, he probably you know intoxicated. Brother Mark probably looked like some giant monster to him uh, coming after him. And uh, when brother Mark went towards him, the guy tried to kind of move away, and his shorts fell down, and he tripped over, and he went right in the sand. 
God didn't know what he was doing. He was uh, just stoned out of his mind. But I'm going to tell you something about drunk people. I, I had, like I said, I hadn't been around a lot of them. That was my first, uh, that was my first uh, interaction with one. But they say stupid things. They do stupid things. They make poor choices. And all the while, what's amazing is, is that they're absolutely, totally oblivious to what is right and what is normal and what is going on around them. They have no idea. In fact, they'll probably, that dude probably, woke up the next morning and didn't even realize uh, everything that had, that had taken place. He had no idea. Their discernment is off. Their perception is off. It has been altered. It has been overtaken by, uh, by intoxicants and by alcohol or whatever they're under the control of. And it has been proven time and time again that sin has that same type of effect on one's life. Sin has an intoxicating effect. Every one of us could give testimony to things that we have done, said, thought while under the influence of sin. It has a, it has a reality altering power to it that hinders us from seeing things clearly, hinders us from seeing things uh, that are absolutely in reality. There's a deceptive nature to sin. In fact, if there wasn't a deceptive nature to sin, none of us would... None of us would be involved in it, right? We, 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 we sin, we get involved in sin, we, we, we succumb to the temptation of sin because it has a way of deceiving us. It never, it, it, it never, it never promises heartache, it never offers ruin, it offers the opposite, right? It offers pleasure, satisfaction, something that'll, something that'll just... Fulfill your life, but that's not what it delivers. That's what it offers. Sin always offers a prize, but it always comes with a price. That's right. It's always that way. The Bible talks about the deceptive nature of sin. Hebrews 3.13 talks about our hearts being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Romans 7.11, uh, Paul said, sin, uh, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Ephesians 4.22 talks about putting off the old man, the former conversation, and, and, and which was corrupt according to the deceitful lust. James 1.14 tells us that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There is an enticing nature it shows us one, it offers you one reality, but it delivers a totally different reality. And it seems like the more you yield to sin, the more it deceives you. And the more you go, it, it, somebody that has literally yielded to sin over and over and over again, they can be perfectly convinced that they're fine. They think they're sailing on a cruise ship, having a great time, and they don't even realize that they're sinking Sometimes by the time they realize what's going on, by the time they come to themselves, talk about somebody preached about the prodigal son coming to himself. Thank God, I'm glad you can come to yourself. But some people come to themselves and they find out it's too late. Sinners can literally be overwhelmed and, and, and everything around them is crumbling and people with, 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 with discernment and people with sober mindedness, they can see it but the one who's in it, they can't. Have you ever tried to deal with somebody like that? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody like that and they, 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 don't, they really don't even realize the, the, the situation that they're in. They think everything's fine. What is that? Sin's made them stupid. Amen. It's messed their mind up. It warps their mind. 
It makes you see people under the influence of its deception. They, they fall prey to horrible decisions with devastating consequences. And our text this afternoon is a perfect illustration of that. Herod was literally intoxicated by his lust. And all through the text, there is a level of stupidity in the life of Herod. He literally thinks that John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That's how the text starts in verse number 14. He's guilty conscience. He believes that, that Jesus and Jesus, John the Baptist didn't even perform miracles, but for some reason, that guilty conscience is barking inside the heart of Herod. And he thinks that John has come back to life. He's, the whole reason he's in this predicament is because of stupid things along the way that he's done. Sin has made him stupid. He stole his brother's wife. That's why John is not real popular with uh, Herod's wife. It's because he is preaching against uh, their sin. Josephus tells us that it wasn't just his brother's wife. It was actually their niece. Philip and Herod, they had a third brother. They had another brother that had a daughter. And that's this Herodias. The niece was given to one brother, and then the niece was given to another brother. And it's just, man, just a cesspool of stupidity and, and nastiness. That's crazy. He was compelled by his sinful spouse to put John in prison. And, and, and Herod liked John. Herod liked the preaching of John. But he was compelled to do it. You know, that man, that's stupid. He offered half of his kingdom to a girl just because he liked the way that she danced and she, he wasn't able to control his lust. Man, that's stupid. He carried out a murder of a man of God just because of a promise that he made in a moment of passion. Man, that's stupid. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you heard me say it or not, but sin will make you stupid. And when I read this text, I couldn't help but think about the, the intoxicating effect that sin can have on somebody's life. And I want to examine, just, just real quick before we go to supper here, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you four symptoms of sin-induced stupidity, all right? How do you know if sin has made you stupid? Here you go. There's four ways, there's four things that I see pop up here in this text that'll let you know if sin has made you stupid. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, you begin to demonize the very people that are trying to help you. You demonize the very people that are trying to help you. You know, the Bible says in verse number 18 that that John had preached to Herod that it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, I don't know how often Herod went to hear John preach. The Bible says that he liked to hear him. He heard him gladly. He did many things, all, all, all this kind of stuff. And you've, you've read that. But, but I don't know how many messages that, 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 John, that Herod heard John preach, but at least one of them, I kind of tend to think it was more than one. I kind of tend to think, I think John the Baptist might have been one of them preachers that if Herod walked in the door, he changed his message that morning. The message ultimately, I think, I think John the Baptist had a little series going on just for Herod. And I think the first message was on incest. The second message was on adultery. The third message was on divorce. And the last message of his series was on remarriage. 
And I think he just cycled back through them over and over. And every single time, every single time Herod saw, uh, every single time John saw Herod sitting out in the congregation, he called him out by name. And he said, it's not lawful. By the way, he wasn't talking about the law of the land. He wasn't talking about the law of Rome. He wasn't talking about the law of Caesar. He was talking about a law that was higher than any man-made law. He was talking about the law of God. He said, Herod, I don't care what you're supposed superiors say. I don't care what your family says. I don't care what your friends say. God said it is not right and it never will be right for you to have your brother's wife. It's not lawful. It's not a part of God's law for you to be with Herodias. Now I want you to think about this just for a second. Herod heard the message and, and Herod had the same exact option that every single one of us have when we're confronted with our sin. Every one of us. You have two options. When you're confronted with sin, you got two options. You can either A, repent. That means change your mind. Agree with God, what God has to say about it. You know, I don't care who Herod is. I don't care what his position is, what his title is. Herod could have repented. Y'all believe that? I believe Herod was under conviction at some points. I think old Herodias might have been too. That's why she got mad. How about that? He could have repented. I believe that. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The second option he had is the same option we have, and that's to rebel. You can repent or you can rebel. I'm telling you what Herod did under the influence of a sin he wouldn't drop under the influence of a sin that was controlling him and making the decisions for his life. He opted for rebellion. He took that very preacher and he put him in prison and then later on, you know the story, at the request of the same wicked woman who was pulling the strings, he could not say no to her and he had that same preacher beheaded. Can I tell you something? When Herod did that, when he cut John the Baptist's head off, he was cutting the voice of God out of his life. The best opportunity that Herod had for a blessed, God-favored life was that preacher that was in his life. Let me tell you, every single time John the Baptist took a text and he had a fit and he preached to old Herod, that was not the judgment of God on Herod's life. That was not the judgment of God. See, well, listen, when a preacher gets up like Brother Barnes did just a little bit ago and starts preaching against things, not just sin in general, but starts tagging it and bagging it, amen, starts cataloging it and categorizing it, man, people automatically, and I know not here at this camp meeting, probably not, but, but all over, man, you, preacher just said a little bit ago, he preached at youth camp, it wasn't very popular there. It's not popular at my church. It's not popular at most churches. It's not what people want to hear. But can I tell you this, friend? When the preacher gets up and preaches against your sin, that is not him judging you. Say, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Listen, I don't think that means what you think it means. If you really understood the severity of and the weight of that statement that God can judge you, listen, I don't think you'd be going around bragging about it. 
I don't even be going around talking about it. Amen. Listen, God is the judge. That ought to scare the ever-living daylights out of you. And when God sends a preacher, and by the way, thank God for preachers that'll preach against sin. If you got a man of God that'll name it, amen, and tell it like it is, and doesn't care who, uh, uh, who, who likes it or who doesn't like it, if you got a preacher that'll call out your sin and talk about what you're going through and what, what's going on in your life, if you got a preacher that'll do it, you ought to thank God for that. And I thank God for the preachers that preached to me and told me what was right. Can I tell you, listen, I ain't nothing, and I probably never will be anything, but if I ever amount to anything at all, if I'm anywhere in my life, listen, I, you can mark it up and you can, you can put it uh, at, uh, on the account of the preachers that stood behind the pulpit and preached the truth to me. I thank God for it. Listen, that wasn't the judgment of God. That was the mercy of God. The judgment of God is when Herod died and was cast into hell. The judgment of God is when Herod died and in hell he lift up his eyes. That was the judgment of God. But listen, God loved Herod so much that he sent him a preacher to tell him the truth. And Herod cut off and he cut out the very best opportunity that he had for a blessed life. I'll tell you something, if you've got a preacher, I'll tell you the truth. Listen, all they want, I, I can't speak for every preacher, but I'll just speak for myself. I'll tell you all I want, I don't want to make nobody mad. I'm not trying to make people mad. I'm not trying to make people upset. I'm not trying to run people out. I want people to come to church. I don't want people to leave the church. Listen, I want. I, listen, I, I, I love people. I, I want them to do right. I want them to have a blessed life. I want them to have a, a God-favored life. I want them to have a success, the right good success in the sight of God in their life. But the only way to do that is to preach against sin. Tell them the truth. I'll tell you what hurts. And I'm not up here complaining. God knows my heart. I'm, just, I'm not hating. I'm just stating, all right? It's just the truth. And it hurts, and it's going to keep hurting and as, long as, as, long as, uh, as long as you're in ministry, it'll always be this way. Do not be surprised, preachers, parents. Do not be surprised when the very people you're trying to help, they turn around and demonize you. I got people, they, I mean, I, 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 still, I probably still could find a pastor appreciation card from them somewhere. Yeah. They loved me. I thought, they thought I was the best preacher that ever, you know, that ever, ever there was or was, you know. I mean, just the best thing in all the world, hung the moon, all that. But then when I start talking about their granddaughter fornicating, we're going to bring that up. Come on now. Talk about their family, you know, they got to deal with some things in their family. Now I'm the bad guy. I'm going to tell you, preachers, if you can't handle being the bad guy, you don't need to be in ministry. If you can't handle being demonized, if you can't lay your head on your pillow and know that everything's all right because you did what God told you to do and you stayed with this book right here, listen, you probably don't need to be a preacher. If you want everybody to like you, that's what's killing us in the ministry is men of God that just want to be, they want to win popularity contests and they just want everybody to like them and they want everybody, listen, if you want, listen, if you want everybody to like you, go sell ice cream. Bake cakes for a living. Amen. Don't be a preacher. Amen. Sell pizza. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something, Herod, Herod's in hell right now, and listen to me, he has no excuse. Because not only did he have a preacher in his life, but listen to this, he had the greatest. Isn't that what Jesus said? 
Isn't that what G Jesus said? There's none greater born of a woman, right? He's the, he's the best one. He's the best preacher you could ever have. There was nothing wrong with John the Baptist. But they turned around. They turned on him. John the Baptist trying to help that man, and they turned on him. Cut him off. Preacher, don't be upset when they cut you off. You know why they did that? Because sin will make you stupid. Sin will make you turn the very people that the very people that love you and they're trying to help you and they want you to do right and it'll make you demonize them and talk about them and run them down. Amen. That's how you know sin's made somebody stupid. They demonize the very people that love them and trying to help them. John was there to try to help Herod. He ends up being the bad guy, right? Not only that, but secondly, not only you demonize people that are trying to help you, but you, you begin to rationalize behavior that should be wrong to you. You know, sin can so twist and warp your mind that things that are so obviously blatantly wicked can seem normal to you. If you don't believe that, take two seconds and look at our society today. Our society is so warped and twisted. I mean, I'm not even going to get into it. I mean, it is so absolutely crazy. Absolute. I mean, the stuff going on in Florida right now, that bill and all that. I mean, can you believe? Can you believe that's even an issue? Can you believe that's even a controversy? What in the world? I tell you what it is. Sin makes you stupid. And that's the way it was with Herod. He's, he's, he's engaging in behavior that... I mean, anybody would know what's wrong. Stealing your brother's wife, marrying your niece, having a stepdaughter provide entertainment for your party, imprisoning and murdering the prophet of God. I mean, the man of God. I mean, these are crazy things. And the only way you can stomach doing stuff like that, the only way you can do things like that is you got to trick your brain. You have to somehow rationalize and you got to tell yourself it's okay, this is right, this is normal. And that's what's going on in our society today. They are preaching and shouting and hollering, this is okay, this is normal, this is normal, this is normal. And the world is absolutely crazy. And if you don't watch it, sometimes you'll get confused. You start thinking, maybe we're the ones that are crazy. Maybe old Bible believers, old-fashioned, we won't change. Maybe we're the ones that are off. But I'm going to tell you something. Just two seconds, you shake that off, man, and you realize this world is warped. It is twisted. Listen, this Bible is right, and this world is crazy. But whatever you can write, whatever becomes mentally acceptable, it will become physically possible. And it never does become physically possible until it first becomes mentally acceptable. Amen. You rationalize it here. It's amazing. You can look somebody right in the face and show them Bible and tell them and plead with them in tears and love. Say, this is wrong. But listen, when sin has made them stupid, they don't even hear it. They don't even realize it. I got to hurry, but you begin to demonize people that are trying to help you. You begin to rationalize behavior that should be wrong to you. Thirdly, how do you know when sin's made you stupid? You begin to minimize things that should be valuable to you. You know, Herod was a king, but he wasn't like a king like we might think. I think I already mentioned that. He's just a local ruler, but he did have some territory. He had some authority. He had some influence. And people like him, man, they long for this power. They, they're power hungry. They'll step on whoever. And Herod's dad was Herod, Herod the Great, the one that 
the one that, uh, of course, was around there, uh, the time of Christ and all that, he allegedly, supposedly, according to history, killed a son because his, he felt like his power was threatened and all kinds of stuff. I mean, just, this, this family is absolutely nuts. And it's abs- they're absolutely crazy. They're all power hungry. But look at what he did. He was willing to give up power. Sin had even made him so crazy that he was willing to give up wealth, power. He said, I'll give you up to half of what. Here's a blank check. Take whatever you want. In fact, he offered it to her twice. He had to cuss the second time in verse 23. He swore unto her. He said it again. He said, whatever you want, you can take it. Everything that before he thought of as valuable, things that he prized before, things that were precious to him, things that he would probably kill over, now he's just opening up his pockets and he's just giving it all away. Sin has a way of minimizing things that used to be valuable to you. We see it all the time, don't we? Some man willing to leave his family for some relationship, some fling. Somebody addicted to drugs, alcohol. I mean, they're so bad, they'll sacrifice their family, sacrifice their children. There's young preachers, man, they're just looking for a pulpit, looking for popular. They'll sacrifice. They don't care. Convictions, pastors, people that's invested in them, they don't care. They just, man, they, they, everything that used to be valuable to them, they have debased it and they have devalued it all because they want, they have a lust in their heart for something else. Teenagers so intoxicated with lust, they'll give up their purity just for a few moments of pleasure, just to give in, just to be a part of the crowd. Can I tell you something? There ought to be some things that are not for sale. There ought to be some things in our life that are absolutely priceless that the devil cannot give us anything for. When you start seeing somebody lowering the value on things that ought to be priceless in their life, you can mark it down one thing. Sin has absolutely made them stupid. Made them crazy. Man, we sell out for so little, don't we? I heard Brother McBride preaching the other day. He was preaching on the temptations of Christ. and He said that the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. All the ki- He said, somebody said that, uh, well, the devil's never offered me any of the kingdoms of this world. Brother McBride said, that's because uh, he's never had to. He said, we sell out for much less. I'm going to tell you, there's things that, listen, my Bible's not for sale. My pulpit's not for sale. My family's not for sale. My church is not for sale. There's some things I don't care. Listen, Ahab, you ain't having it, amen. It is priceless. It's been given to me. It's been passed down. It's a trade. There is no check. There's not enough zeros on a check. Listen, there's not enough platform. There ain't a platform big enough. There ain't a paycheck big enough. Listen, there's not a poster been uh, circulated widely enough uh, for me to give up some precious things. Amen. You start minimizing things that ought to be valuable to you. Sin has made you stupid. Let me give you one last one and I'm done. Not only, how do you know when sin's made you stupid? You begin to rationalize behavior that should be wrong to you. You begin to minimize things that should be valuable to you. You begin to uh, demonize people that are only trying to help you and that love you. But lastly, you begin to idolize the crowd's opinion of you. It's all about what they think. Now notice, look, look at your Bible here. Look at verse number 25. 
Of course, this, this girl, she goes to her mom, Herodias, what shall I ask? That's verse 24, head of John the Baptist. Verse 25, and she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will give that thou give me by and by in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. And the king, verse 26, was exceeding sorry. You know what that means? Listen, he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. His conscience didn't trashed all the way at this point. In fact, it's not even trash later on. This whole story is given because it's explaining to us why, John, why Herod thought that Jesus was the reincarnated John the Baptist. But he said he was very sorry. Yet, look at verse 20. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. You know what the Bible says? There were two main factors in Herod's decision that he made. He had a decision. He had a decision right there. He had the authority to say, no, I'm not doing that. Ask for something else. He had a decision right there, and there were two factors that played into his decision. It says, first of all, it was his oath's sake. You know what that means? That means his reputation, his word. His word is online. All these princes, all these governors, all these people, you know, captains, chief of states of Galilee, that's verse 21. Here they all are here at this table. They're all at this party, this, uh, this banquet that's going on, and they're all eyes are on him. And he says, I can't, I can't look bad in front of my friends. My, my reputation's on the line. My word's on the line. And he said, and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. It was all about. And I say he idolized their opinion of him. He idolized his popularity. He idolized his position in front of these people. It began to be an idol because that was the ultimate thing. It wasn't what honors God, what is right. What is expedient? No, the ultimate thing, the very ultimate thing in his life became, what do people think about me? And that is one way you know that sin has absolutely made you stupid. When you start making decisions based on what are, the, what are they going to think about me? There's a whole lot of people in hell right now that had that thought process when the Holy Spirit come by and convicted them of their sin. I guarantee you right now they ain't thinking about what people, they don't care about what people think about them. So a lot of people in a lot of bad spots these days because they made decisions based on, but listen, when you're more concerned about what people think about you other than what God knows about you, listen, you are living in a sin-induced stupor, my friend. The truth is this, one day Herod will be brought up at the great white throne judgment and it'll be before the Lord Jesus Christ. It won't be before his friends. And there'll be some, you'll listen to the preaching this week, you'll be confronted about sin, and you'll listen to it, and you'll let it go in one ear and out the other ear. You won't do anything with it. You won't repent. You'll rebel against it. You'll harden your heart against it. You'll stiffen up your neck against it, and you'll walk right out the door, all because of somebody that's sitting next to you. Listen to me, young people. Uh, listen, I'm not that old. I'm not Abraham, all right? Good gracious. I'm fat and bald, but I'm not that old, all right? I just don't eat good, and I don't ever exercise. But I have a good life insurance policy. Don't worry, it's fine. And I think my church is looking for another pastor anyway, so it don't matter. I'm not worried about it. But listen, all the people, and, I'm just, and this is about right, okay? Now listen, all the people that were cool in high school, they, 
I don't know why it seems this way, but they're all losers now, pretty much. <laughs> it's about true, amen. And all the losers that were in high school, listen, we're kind of cool now. I know I don't look it, but in other ways that can't be measured, okay. Seriously, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging anybody or throwing off anybody. All I'm saying is this. The people that, man, I really wanted to like me in high school, listen, they're on like a second marriage, third marriage. They may be, some of those guys, they maybe get to see their kids every other weekend. And by the way, I went to a Christian school. I went to a good Christian school, not a liberal. I went to a good, we had revival. We had chapel, chapel means we'd have hard preaching and we'd go to the altar and we'd pray together and weep together. You listening to me? It don't matter what they think. There's only one man's opinion. There's only one man's assessment. There's only one man's evaluation of you that ought to mean anything in your life, and that is the one that shed his blood to buy your redemption, buy your salvation. What does he say about you? Some people, their God is popularity, and so they'll do whatever. And as long as they get hearts, as long as they get likes, their gods are pleased. Their, 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 their idol has been satisfied. That is what the offering that has to be laid at their idol's feet. It's people's opinion, people's approval. And as long, listen, I don't care. You can go do some wicked, vile, awful thing and post it on social media, and you'll have people that like it. Amen. And if that's where you go, if that's where the kind of, if that's where you go to get validation, I'm going to tell you what, that will not hold up at the judgment seat of Christ. That will not hold up half a second after you close your eyes in this life. It only matters what God says about you. Herod would have done well to look at those people and say, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you're going to think about me. That is a line I will not cross. But he wouldn't do it. Why? Because sin had made him stupid. You know, the Bible calls us, and I'm done, the Bible calls us so many times to sober-mindedness, Right? Be sober, be vigilant. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly. Be, have an awareness about you. You can't do that when you're high on sin. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to sober up. What's so good old-fashioned repentance will sober you up real good? When's the last time? And I know it's afternoon service of camp meet on a Wednesday. I understand all this. But when is the last time? You thought clearly, biblically, holily, if that's a word, with, with a sanctified mind. You know, the Bible, Paul tells us that, you know, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transform how? The renewing of your mind. You've got to renew that thing every day. Because sin, temptation, this flesh, this world, man, it's just hold on, just pull. You, do you feel the pull? You feel they're pull. They're trying to suck us in. They're trying to pull us in. Every day you need to renew your mind, make up your mind again. That's wrong, and this is right. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. 
And if everybody, if my favorite preacher in the whole wide world gets up here and tells me that everything he said is a lie, listen, I'm still believing this book. You got to make it. It's got to be, listen, it can't be mom and daddy's conviction. It can't be preacher's conviction. It's got to be your conviction that this is right. This is the only clear light. This is the only light for your path. This is the only filter through which you filter everything. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Test it all. God help us. We need some sober-minded teenagers in these days. You don't have to be drunk on sin. You don't have to be high on sin. We need some sober-minded mamas and dads. Paul gave that word to Titus, Titus 2. The old men teaching the younger men and the older women. And it just be sober, be sober. That word pops up several times. Sober, sober-minded, sober-minded. Not drunk on the things of this world. But you know it's true. Sin will make you stupid, won't it? God help us. It can happen to you. Amen. This ain't a message for other people that ain't in this room. Amen. Let's stand together all over the building. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord. Lord, to this thing of being sober-minded. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to think straight spiritually. Lord, I pray as the preachers have already dealt with this week, Lord, help us to filter out, Lord, things in our life, Lord, that might be intoxicants. Lord, things like music and other things that's been mentioned, Lord. Lord, help us whatsoever things are lovely and true and of a good rapport and things of virtue and praise. God, help us to think on these things. God, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, show us. Reprove us, rebuke us. Lord, may we repent. Be closer to you than we ever have been. Lord, this world's crazy. It's so dark. Lord, uh, being sober-minded is more critical than it ever has been in, in, in the history of Christianity. God, help us today. Help us today. Jesus' name. All right. Brother Daniel, whatever's on your heart, Brother Daniel, you just sing a verse. These altars are open. You do business with God. Sober-minded. Listen, Mom and Daddy, your kids need you to be sober-minded. You're making decisions. Man, and I've seen this. Again, I'm not judging anybody trying to be critical, but it seems like sometimes when them kids get to be teenagers, parents lose their mind. They just... Teenagers lose their mind. Parents lose their mind too. And it just, and that's the worst time. That's the worst time. I'm telling you what, when you're raising kids, you need sober mindedness, scripture mindedness. Preacher, for your church, you got to be sober minded. You got to be. Listen, you can't be behind the wheel of your home, the wheel of your, of your church wheel of your life. You can't be behind that wheel when you're not thinking right. You ain't thinking clear. Pray for God to help you be sober.